Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast, where we bring to you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Craig. He is the founder and CEO over at GigWage. First of all, thank you so much for being on here today. It's a pleasure having you. And uh, I know it's, you know, people have things to do. There's meetings and stuff like that going on. So I totally understand. And uh, just a little bit of background on GigWage. Pretty much it's a venture, backed ca- a venture capital backed technology firm. Uh, that's raised millions to build modern payment tools for the future of work, right? So gig economy, gig wage, uh, I'm pretty sure everyone can make the connection there. So just why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and, you know, how you actually came up with the idea of gig wage? Yeah, so I'll try to make this uh, story as quick as possible. Uh, but in 2008, uh, right after the market had crashed, I was uh, took a job as a sales rep selling uh, basically services for ADP automatic data processing. It's like an $80 billion payroll company. And uh, as one of the top sales professionals, I ended up getting to sell their first cloud-based product, which was a product called ADP Run. And I saw the power of paying people in cloud technology uh, during a down market. And I was like, wow, this is a really good space to be in. And so over the years, I just kind of dedicated myself to payroll payment HR technology. Um, And then right around 2016-ish, started seeing the trends for the gig economy. Mm. And I, I figured uh, everybody was taking a different approach. Everybody was using like payment tools, Stripe, et cetera. Uh, and I was like, wow, we could apply a payroll type of process to paying gig economy workers. And that's kind of where the idea was born. Um, and a little bit more specifically, I saw a, a report that McKinsey had did on the global independent contractor workforce. And I knew the space was massive. And I was like, okay. We're going to focus on paying, managing, and supporting independent contractors and build a platform to do that. Very, very cool. So before this happened, like obviously you were over at ADP, so you saw how payment processing took place, et cetera. Where did you get a background to really get started with tech? Yeah, sure. So I was, it started off at ADP selling technology mm-hmm. and I spent a few years doing that at various companies and I started going to smaller and smaller companies mm-hmm. so I was selling technology but I was starting to understand how businesses that sell technology were built um, and then I joined a Silicon Valley based startup actually based in Cupertino we were doing a timekeeping app um, the founder had just left Apple um, I was like employee three or something like that and I learned really how to build technology, how to build a team, build a culture, how to scale a company, how to raise venture capital. Um, and so we started in Cupertino, moved, went through an accelerator in San Francisco, moved the company to Miami, so I got to see that market. Cool. But that's where I really cut my startup teeth was at a previous startup called Kairos. Cool. Yeah, because it's, I mean, when you're just working, you know, as a, a, a key employee, essentially, at ADP, it's very different than actually... Totally building the, the software yourself totally. building the team so super different you know like polarizing uh, differences with that but so what was it like you know like when did like you, so it finally clicked when you got that report from Kenzie but after that like what were the steps that you took so so after we saw well so I think it's important from a SaaS and kind of startup journey so a couple years prior to that report, we started this company, actually, and we were trying to solve a different payroll problem. And we were just really struggling to get the product out and find product market fit. And so when we saw that report, we were kind of in a place that we were open to say, like, man, what are we uniquely qualified to do and how can we really help the world? And so uh, we pivoted when we saw that report, actually, uh, and we were trying to figure out our next move. So once we did, for us, it was just about building, like, 
getting something into customers' hands and getting feedback. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, once we saw that report, we committed, we went all in. And I mean, the, the vision still looks a lot today like it did a couple years ago. Awesome. That's super cool. How did you get the product in the market? Like, so from my understanding, a lot of the people that I interview on here, um, or a good chunk of them at least, not I wouldn't say majority of them, but a, a good amount, they were, for example, the last person I interviewed, he created the CRM for, uh, um, you know, insurance agents, and they were yeah. selling insurance, and essentially, like, he knew the pain points very, you know, to the T, where he could build the product and just give them exactly what it is that they needed, but he already had the client base, pretty much, because he was already consulting them. Mm, so. Yeah. How are you essentially reaching out to people? Like, how did you get your first few customers? Yeah, it was actually pretty organic. And that's how we knew we were onto something. And so when we launched the product, we immediately had paying customers in the first week. Um, you know, I think I made a couple just random social media posts about, you know, check out this new landing page for this new service that we have. Mm. And we started seeing customers organically sign up. And so we knew it wasn't product market fit, but we knew we were solving a problem that people were looking to solve. Um, but yeah, I mean, really for the first couple of years of this thing, we haven't really done much on the outbound go-to-market side. It's been really organic, word of mouth. And we've just focused on building great product and trying to solve our current customers' needs. But yeah, those first few customers just, you know, Google search, hey, let's try this thing out and fell in love with it. Awesome, awesome. Now, what is what do you think is you know like the next step here? Is it do you think you're gonna stay in this stage for a little bit and keep on building on the product itself, or do you think you're ready essentially for you know to take things to the next level? Yeah, we're definitely going to the next level. 2020 is a massive year for us. We found kind of as we're a product focused company, um, distribution is super interesting. And so uh, this year we released our API. We've got a couple of major software partners that'll be implementing our API and integrating our product and giving us distribution to their customer channels, uh, which is super fascinating, super exciting. But yeah, man, we're, 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 we're full steam ahead. And uh, we think these channels of technology, we've got kind of a focus of, we're focused on technology companies that we're finding distribution through, accounting companies that we're finding distribution through. Uh, and so uh, that's really the focus for us moving forward, man. It's kind of growing through other people's customer base. Very cool. So that's super smart, right? Because essentially like you are tapping into their entire customer base that they already have to just get in front of all those hundreds and thousands of people. Bingo. So super, super fast and an easy way to penetrate those uh, segments. Now, when it comes to the future of GigWidge, do you think you're always going to be in the same spot as far as, you know, payment processing for gig? Um, or do you think that eventually like you might also offer different services? I will definitely offer different services and we're already kind of starting to work towards that direction. So um, when you think about pay, manage and support contractors, the biggest piece of that being the payment piece, uh, what we found is from just what really wanting to serve our customers better, we ultimately need to become the bank of the gig economy. And so um, the closer and closer we can get to becoming a bank, meaning uh, the offering, you know, FDIC insured accounts, checking accounts, mm. um, cards, debit cards, credit cards, lending services. Uh, those things are all going to help us better serve our clients. And so payments is a gateway into us basically becoming the financial infrastructure and the bank of the gig economy. And so over the next 12, 24, and 36 months, you'll see a lot of that stuff start to roll out. Huge. That's huge. I mean, you're pretty much taking away a big chunk of, you know, big corporate, you know, um, banks from this, like, I guess 
I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and just yeah. detail. Yeah, sure, man. I think like, so, you know, when you pay people, what we just found is, you know, moving money, the number one thing in the gig economy and independent contractors is speed. And so when we looked at the, the kind of barriers to how do we pay people faster, we just realized by having to kind of partner with third parties and, you know, integrate with 10,000 different financial institutions and, you know, set up sub accounts and insurance, and all this stuff, it just made sense for us to become end to end the bank. Right. Or at least have that optionality. Right. And so um, we have and all of this isn't necessarily super public yet, but we've been working on some uh, partnerships to kind of consolidate a lot of that stuff so that we can really uh, control our customer experience, not only at the kind of user experience level, but at the architecture level. Right. The things that they don't see. Right. 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 So, um, yeah, there's some strategic partnerships kind of coming out that we've uh, been working on to help us. better serve our customers in more of a banking fashion. That's awesome. That's really cool. Now you mentioned earlier, essentially like the way so far that gig wage has been getting in the hands of customers and stuff like sure. that is through like word of mouth or, you know, just finding it organically on social media either or, or Google, which one of those has been the most successful. And, and you think, you know, if you were kind of like to like just pick one of those, which one would it be? Well, and neither. Actually, there's another option where we've had the most success. Um, and we've just been testing some uh-huh. little things out. We've tested some AdWords. We've tested. But what we found our most success is conferences. And um, it's very different for the SaaS customer. You know, most of us don't want to get out there and set up a booth and do all the things. But we found that there's these uh, what we call contractor-dependent industries, mm-hmm. uh, like old industries, legacy industries that depend on contractors. Mm-hmm. And they all have these little niche conferences. And so we're like the cool SaaS tech company coming in, cool booth, cool technology, into these kind of stodgy old industries. And they're like, wow, this is great. And we clean up. So mm-hmm. we, did, we did two conferences this year. And, uh, I mean, it outperformed anything we've you know, ever done by far. And next year we plan on doing, you know, a lot more and uh, more industries, but yeah, conferences kind of this, you know, uh, they always talk about do things that don't scale. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. In a million years would have thought conferences is, you know, we were like, Oh, you know, we can partner with Google and we can, you know, do this and do that. And we will do all that stuff too. But uh, conference that hand to hand combat, getting in front of people and being able to tell them what our technology can do. It's been pretty powerful. So what do you think a way to scale that would be like, if it's just really connecting with the people one-on-one, is there a, a you think Well, so a- what happens, here's what happens. We go to the conference and there's like direct customers for us to service. But mm-hmm. at these conferences, all of the platforms that run the conferences are there as well too, right? And so most of these legacy businesses build on top of some licensed software. Well, all of those licensed softwares are vendors at the conferences. So we end up talking to the vendors a lot and where we've seen a lot of uptick is we've integrated with the vendors and again, that distribution throughout the entire industry. So going to the conference, we pick up direct customers, but the real value for us are the vendors that are there that want to integrate our service as a value add. That's awesome. That's really cool. Would that would that value add be added as a white label solution to their clients or would they, would they clearly know, you know, like this is definitely wicked, well, wig wage or uh, sorry, gig wage. Wig wage. I might have to trademark that. Uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, we we're flexible, right? And so we've got an API, we've got a white label solution, you know, kind of a powered by situation. So we're pretty flexible on that. Um, just kind of whatever people feel comfortable with. Um, and so, 
you know, whatever makes sense. Every industry is a little bit different. So some people feel comfortable. What we found though, um, in the gig economy and contractor community right now, you'll see like misclassification is a big deal. Are they an employee? Are they a contractor? When you use a contractor dependent system like gig wage, uh, that helps kind of classify them as a contractor. So people typically want us to be like their customers to be made aware that gig wage is the contractor payment system because it helps from a compliance and liability perspective. But, but we are able to kind of white label and kind of not be, you know, be in the background, if you will. Very cool. Very cool. Now to talk a little bit more about the personal, you know, things that come with actually being a startup founder. Sure. What have you found is the most challenging thing as you try to both build and scale the company? Yeah, I mean, it, there's just, you get pulled in a lot of different directions. And so for me, I'll be 38 this month and I've got a wife and four daughters and, you know, that's a whole enterprise in itself. <laughs> and then uh, we've got a team of just about 10 people here and they all come with different wants and needs and talents that need to be nurtured and cultivated. And we've got, you know, our entire uh, investor cap table, uh, you know, a number of high net worth individuals and different funds. And so you just get pulled by people in a lot of different directions. And you've got all your customers, you've got all your partners. And so just understanding how to stay kind of focused and in, in line with who you are mm -hmm. is a challenge every day. And you have to wake up every day hyper-focused around solving one to three big things a day, even though you're getting pulled in a thousand directions. Uh, managing your emotions, kind of that EQ piece of it is what I've really focused on over the last few years is trying to be as poised as possible and have as much impact each day, even though you're getting like diluted from a million different ways, right? Uh, everybody needs something and that can be emotionally draining. Definitely. What's your biggest tip for somebody that kind of is in that position and, and they just need to like figure out like, like, I guess, what would you do if, you know, like what's the prioritization process to like know that you can focus on the, on the one thing that you need to get done or the three things a day? Like how do you choose those for yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, again, there's a million fires and you just got to be, I think there's no like, there's no silver bullet to this. You just, after, after trial and error, you start to understand the ones you can let keep burning and the ones you need to put out. Mm. Uh, and I think if you really say, well, you know, what is our goal? What's our North Star? You start to understand what things you need to focus on. And everybody's situation is going to be different depending on how strong your team is or how strong your product is or how fast you're growing or how fast you're not growing. And so based on all of those things, one of the things that will make you a stronger, better, good CEO is deciphering like which fires to put out and which ones are not. But the biggest feedback I would say is be patient. Like there's a sense of urgency and there's this kind of like instant gratification we're looking for. Yeah. But man, building a company is a 10, 15, 20 year process. So you just got to be patient and know that even if you make the wrong decision about what to prioritize, tomorrow still comes. Um, and so patience, uh, ma managing that patience and like that competitive sense of urgency is something you just got to work on every day. Awesome. When did you know you needed to start delegating things? Like, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, people as entrepreneurs overall, like they have these tendencies and everything. And, and a lot of them want to take care of everything at once. They want to be there for anything that's taken place. So how do you know, you know, like, how do you know and how do you start to actually let go of things that don't necessarily need you and you know somebody else could take care of better than yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've been aware of that since the beginning. I'm a non-technical founder. I always say I, uh, I code in Microsoft Word and I'm efficient in PDF. Um, and so, you know, focused on hiring a great technical uh, CTO, VP of product, engineers. I've always been okay with kind of delegating. Um, but I think over time, I've realized even the things I'm strong at, I have to try to fire myself from those things too every day. And so I'm constantly looking for great talent that I can say, hey, you come in and tell me how we should be doing this thing. I hate when I hire somebody or, you know, even one of my current teammates occasionally, you know, they'll come to me like, hey, what about X, Y, Z? And I'm like, I mean, that's totally what you should be telling me we should be doing. You're like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I've over time become really good at delegating. Um, I'm really good with letting people make decisions, make mistakes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because I found that's where we get the best ROI. If you've hired the right people, you should let them uh, drive that ship, you know? Totally, totally. Where does culture come in? And let's yeah, just answer that question. Yeah, culture is uh, super important. I think in the earlier stages, I think sometimes people over-optimize for culture. Mm -hmm. um, culture is something that kind of builds organically as you add more and more people. So when you're sub 20, 15, 10 people, the culture is probably mostly going to be reflective of the CEO or the co-founders. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to optimize for product. Um, maybe you have to optimize for revenue. Uh, but what you want to just do is build great people that are uh, producing outputs. And then I think as the team begins to grow and scale, you'll start to see some seedlings, some seeds of like what the culture might become. And you can start to focus on that. But mm -hmm. You know, early stage, man, I think I hear everybody talks culture, but I think people are over-optimizing for that too early. Some of culture needs to be organic until it needs to be intentional. Interesting. Interesting. I like it. And when do you start to realize that you need to start optimizing culture? Yeah, I think it's different for every organization. But, I mean, once you start to talk about 20, 25 people, 50 people, 100 people, but, but by 100 people is probably too late. But I think the founders, the CEOs all have to be thinking about culture early on. As far as implementing it, though, like there's only so much time in a day and, you know, it's survival mode in the early days, right? How do you survive? Uh, and I think the CEO, the co-founders have to drive culture early on. But you get intentional about it. If I had to put like a mark, I'd probably say like, you know, once you start hitting 15, 20, 25 people, you have to be intentional about, you know, making sure everybody understands. Because at 10, everybody's talking all day, every day. The culture's just right. kind of... But once you start to get to a certain point where you need to be communicating values, and this is the way we do things, and this is the way we think about things, and this is kind of our ethos, at about 20 people, that gets a little bit... You're not, you know, you don't have 20 people on a, on a, a Zoom, right. right, all day, right? So some people, you know, you could go days without talking to people. So I'd probably say around 20, 25 people is where... You need to have that solid and in place. Cool, cool. What is the biggest thing that you're currently working on? Um, the, well, we're getting ready for 2020. We're bringing on our largest client to date uh, starting in 2020. And so uh, onboarding them is our number one focus. It's a uh, Fortune 10 retailer that is uh, in the grocery delivery space. So they've got a lot of people delivering groceries and those are all contractors. So we're super excited about that. That's the number one thing we're focused on right now is uh, serving their needs and getting them all boarded. Very cool. Within the startup space, is there any single company that you kind of, you know, you look at them and you realize like these people 
doing so such an amazing job like and you almost try to study what are they doing and obviously like everyone's going to be different right every company's going to be different but there's certain things that kind of you can mimic and try to yeah. implement within your own definitely company. there's a handful of companies i just love uh-huh. uh and there's some of them are kind of in our space and kind of competitors uh although i think we can collaborate with most of these companies but i love gusto um i've been a fan of theirs since they were in payroll and came out of white combinator just you talk about culture those guys nailed it um i love stripe i love the simplicity of the developer first kind of api model uh scalability that they have i'm a huge fan of plaid um which were a customer of plaid um and then probably outside of our space i love slack um it's good and actually zoom too right they've made video pretty easy and people botched that for years so those yeah. are some of the companies i look at from a, a product a growth a culture perspective just some great great companies out there very very cool and a couple last questions here if you could go back to when you first started what would you have done differently knowing what you know now well i always tell people i wish i would have became an entrepreneur much earlier like if i could have did it 10 years earlier i'm i i value the experience i got as a sales executive mm-hmm. but Man, if I could have started a, a tech company in college, that would have been a move. I always tell people I was a junior in college when Facebook launched and I had I didn't own a computer. I had no idea what tech really was. I was on a basketball scholarship just hooping, right? Uh but if I could do anything, man, I would have started a tech company much much earlier. So pretty much just make sure that whenever you can and you have the idea to just go for it. Go for it, man. Especially because you got less risk when you're younger too, right? You can like afford to fail. Yeah. Uh, and, and I actually believe you can do that at any age, but it, it just looks and feels a little different. But yeah, totally. man, if I could have started earlier, that would have been the move. Cool, cool. Very good. And uh, where can people find you online? So I'm uh, pretty much at Craig J. Lewis on everything except for Twitter. I'm at Craig Jamal Lewis. Uh, and then obviously our company is at GigWage, G-I-G-W-A-G-E on everything. And so um yeah man we're very social we're out there uh we love to engage awesome awesome and last question here do you have any questions for me um yeah man why did you start the podcast this is cool yeah so really the the first thing was to me you know getting in front of people like yourself getting in front of people that are building things creating things and trying to change the way that conventional things are done uh and really understand you know what it takes to do that what it is that they're doing and how they're doing it to really understand myself because eventually like that's something that I want to do is start a software company right now that'll be helping those companies grow through paid advertising right and and then eventually use the same foundation essentially that I'm using for everyone else's company on my own and just scale it and one other question for you that's a great answer so when i transition from like selling legacy software or enterprise software I make great money and got into the startup world mm-hmm. my very first kind of uh entry point was in Chandler Arizona at Startup Weekend mm-hmm. uh, I pitched this idea and we built this thing over the weekend and I was like I just fell in love with it what is the startup scene like uh currently in the kind of Phoenix and surrounding area It's definitely growing. Uh you definitely see a lot more conferences happening here. Uh you have that one. There's a couple more. I can't think of the name at the top of my head, but there's some really cool startups um in Arizona at the time. You have Insurance, I think, which is like an insurance platform, super simple. Uh Trainual, who he was also on the on the on the podcast on the earlier days, but really good company as well. Pretty much, you know, it's a, a 
training system for employees, like yeah. one of my favorite companies out there right now. Um, they're all doing really good stuff out here. Um, so it's definitely, it's nice to see, uh, actually the, I think the guy before you was from Arizona too, over in Chandler. Um, so I've definitely see them a lot more often, um, nowadays, which is, it's always nice to see that happen. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So again, thank you so much, Craig, for being on here. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks and, for having uh, me. We'll, we'll take you in touch. All right, man. Peace out. Take care.